Welcome to the Denver Diatribe, a weekly podcast of news, culture, and stuff as it pertains to Denver, Colorado, the funniest city between Firestone and Florence. This week on the Diatribe, we're talking about digital comedy, Colorado's funny potential, and we'll also pitch our own pilots for uh, TV and web series. My name is Vanessa, and I'm joined this week by co-hosts Jared and Josh, as well as our special in-studio guest, Amber Tozer. Hi, everybody. Hey. Hello. Morning. So, Amber, thanks for joining us. Um, Amber is a comic and Colorado native and world traveler and all kinds of other things. Yeah, I I moved out of Colorado. I grew up in Pueblo, and I moved out of uh, Pueblo, Colorado in 1999 to New York. And I was there for a couple of years, and I drank a lot, and I thought I was really hilarious, and then I started doing comedy. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. And now you're in L.A. Now I'm in L.A. I was in New York for seven, and now I live in L.A. I've been there for five years. And then I come back to Colorado three or four times a year to hang out with the family. And do, like, comedy works and shows here. Yeah. I do comedy works, and I uh, do Adam Caton Holland show and Andrew Overdahl show a lot. I just did Grolix, Mm -hmm. their new Grolix show, um, last week. And I was on the storyteller show called The Narrators, which is awesome. It's it's on what's Paris on Paris the Platte. Pla- yeah. yeah. So I really I love the Denver comedy scene because it's so supportive, and I love coming back here to do comedy. So, well, and you're moving for well, you also did Last Comic Standing. Yes, I was on Last Comic Standing in 2008, and although I was so happy to be on that show, it was terrifying. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be like, yeah, let me plug it. It got canceled anyway. It was the worst experience of my life. Really? It was just so nerve-wracking because it was like you had three minutes, and it wasn't – and I'm sort of a ranter as it is. I'm starting to get more into one-liners, but it was just so intense because cameras are in your face. They set up the comedy club differently, so the stage even looked different. And um, it was just intense. It was just made for television – for uh, the audience is more so than the comics, you know, like it sure. was just weird. so it's just super unnatural. Like, it's oh my the way god, te- television always tries to make things look like it just happened and we're all spontaneous, but in fact, it's th- totally not the way you'd think it would be. And you're just in this labyrinth, and you come out and you're like, what the fuck just happened? Yeah, it's a pressure cooker. So, it, it, yeah, it, it was very unnatural. But I mean, you got to do it. I mean, that's I can't complain because it was awesome, and they they did this little. Um, backstory vignette on me which was cool the producers were really nice they came to my house and interviewed me and that was okay but the actual doing stand-up yeah to talk a little bit about going moving from from the stage to the digital platforms online tweeting youtube um well i sort of took a break from comedy like actual doing stand-up i mean i've always done it but i always fall in in love in and out of love with like going out and hustling and getting the stage time and as i get older I just, I don't, I just want to stay home. <laughs> and I started tweeting a lot, and I got, and I started to get um, some more followers. And I actually um, got cast in a pilot because somebody was following my 
tweets and my Facebook updates. So they called me in to read for a part, and I got it. So that was awesome because I didn't have to go out and schmooze and, you know, be a part of Hollywood scene, which, you know, you have to do that too. But I just was like, I like staying at home in bed. <laughs> What's your Twitter handle? Um, it's Amber Tozer, at Amber Tozer, T-O-Z-E-R. I, and, and that's funny because, as you mentioned that, I'm, I'm imagining the act of Twittering as a comic, you're, you're throwing stuff out there, things that you're noticing in your daily life, and as opposed to just writing them down in a notebook. Right. You're actually putting it out there, and then you get an audit, automatic response. Like, certain oh, yeah. things get retweeted yeah. on That's a funny joke. Yeah, your stuff gets retweeted, and then if somebody who else has a lot of followers, they'll say, hey, follow so-and-so. And you get other followers because they tell you who to follow. And, yeah, it's, it's an automatic – the thing with Twitter is it's almost like – because in stand-up, it's awesome because you get that automatic reaction. That automatic – whether it's negative or positive, you get that feedback immediately. And you can get that on Twitter, too. One of our original hosts, Joel Warner, uh, is writing a blog right now for Wired as he's on the road in his travels with Peter McGraw. Both of them were on the show before talking about the humor code which is the book they're writing based on Peter's um, benign violation theory for comedy. And this week, their uh, Wired blog actually talks exactly about this subject, which we had been talking about, and then here comes this you know, Wired blog article by Joel um, that's talking about the next kings of comedy actually being podcasters right now. Like That's how they're making their way. They, they were reporting from Montreal and the, um, what's the name of the festival? Just for Laughs. Just for Laughs. Just for laughs. Yeah. Which you've done before, right, Amber? Yep. A yeah. few years ago I was out there. It's amazing because as an artist, you can just start doing whatever you want as opposed, and putting it out there. And you just throw, and people either are going to love it or hate it, where before you had to be a certain way for whoever had the money or whoever had the access to the audience. Now everybody has access to an audience and you could seriously... Do whatever you want. I mean, there's a lot of crap out there, but there's also those nuggets of gold, like, you know, Mark Maron's podcast, that that will do well and grab a lot of attention. And I think the money will come if the audience is there. Of course, the network's going to be like, this is already a finished product. Let's just, you know... Take it. Take it, yeah. And so other than the um, Twittering and Facebook and the social networking stuff, what other, I guess tech medium things have you done to get your comedy out on a new platform because of twitter and facebook there's um a site called witstream um witstream.com and it's status updates and tweets and there's separate sites like i did a thing for bbc america a couple of weeks ago and it was all it was tweets but it was a specific niche like tune into bbc america to see these live tweets and the topic was um airlines and flying and traveling do you do you find that um with this new medium um there are new topics you know because and i I think of this because of airlines because airlines and traveling tend to be you know well-tread territory for stand-up comedians but when when you're tweeting are you able to explore topics that otherwise you might have moved away from or or does it lend well to certain topics that's a good question because as I as I read tweets and I'm going through them, there's always it's it's funny what people notice at the same time. Whether you know it's uh, a lot of coincidences. Of course, whatever's in the news will just be comedian rants, just blowing it up, blowing up the topic. But you, and I don't feel like I fall into that category of um, I trend following. Yeah. Or- 
But yeah, you do. You find the trends will pop up all yeah, over. Yeah, and the place. they can spread a lot faster. So if somebody, if a comedian does a, a great tweet about raisins, you know, it might take months for you to see their act and see like that and then respond to it. Yeah. But here it's all in live time really fast. So things that otherwise wouldn't trend, trend. Technology is so fast and the audience is already there. So say a comic with a million followers tweets about raisins, you know, then you'll, then you'll start seeing somebody with four followers try to do a joke about raisins. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm actually, I think I'm going to create a word for that. We'll call it viral. It, it went viral? Mm-hmm. What's that mean? Ooh, you shoot on me, viral. <laughs> totally It's gone venereal. It's gone <laughs> so, Amber, we were going to um, watch a video, but I think because we're moving along the time so quickly and we want to move on to maybe the next topic, we'll post it. But let's talk about it a little bit, your series on dancing instead of watching it. So you've got, um, I think the funniest one is the subway answer. I haven't watched all of them, but you basically go into the subway and dance in front of, like you're just on the subway car dancing to the song that nobody else can hear in front of everybody and swinging around this pole like a stripper, like <laughs> moving back and forth. So what inspired this series in particular? So basically this, I guess it's a, it's a series where I go into public places and I just start dancing. Um, it happened by accident. I was in Vegas and a song came on and I had my camera and I made my little sister film me. You just start acting like a crazy person in public and either people react or they don't. And that's my favorite part of it. But I think it was just a, a funny comedy thing to do. Well, yeah. the, the one that you have where you're uh, at Walmart or is it Walmart or Target that you're at? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm at Target. You're at Target. Well, it's funny because I'm, I'm watching it, and I'm seeing all these other people standing around, and I'm like, are they sort of extras in this? Like, is it all planned out? It's almost like I expected to be a musical where people are doing their normal thing, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, spontaneously, everyone's going to be <laughs> dancing along with you. It's like a flash mob. Yeah. Is that your ultimate fantasy, just to, like, be dancing, and then all of a sudden, all these shoppers join in? <laughs> I think that would be super fun to have a really planned out video but that takes a lot of time and organization, and I just don't like to do that. So that that would be fun. I just like dancing in public. I love in the Subwancer, there's, like, somebody who actually tries to trip you. Oh, yeah, that lady moving. hated me. That's, like, one of the, like, because there's so many people who just don't respond. You know, yeah. like you said, like, they're just, like, it's like they're going about their day as if this crazy person <laughs> isn't just dancing to no music because she's the only one who can hear it. It makes people feel them. uncomfortable. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's so, so much of humor uh, often is, is uh, somebody else making themselves uncomfortable, making an ass of themselves, and you feeling, like, nervous for them. Yeah. And there's yeah. A, there is a sense of that when I, when I watch it. That people it's like, nervous I'm nervous for, for you. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's, 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 you're definitely going outside of what we would normally do. Were you in embarrassed for me? I was embarrassed <laughs> for you, yeah. I know, that's uh, one of my other friends said. She's and, like, and, I can't. And Josh can relate because he has a series of public masturbation YouTube videos. You do? Also, he does do, the yes. same thing. Yes. I put a blanket <laughs> over my lap so I don't get exposure. <laughs> <laughs> and it's mostly I just fake it, but Hilarious. but the reactions you get—I mean, it's the same thing. People either stare at me <laughs> longingly, or they're, or, or they're like, "Yeah, go or for they're it." Like, go for it. <laughs> Take the blanket off. Yeah. Finish up. Hurry. Yeah. Hurry. Yeah. The real, the real stash coming up. <laughs> We've talked about this a little bit in terms of how it pertains to like movie star talent. But what would it take for you to be like, "Yeah, I want to move back to Colorado because that's where." you know, some cool things are happening. Like, what does that mean? What would that look like for the state? I guess just 
the opportunity. You know, if there were production companies and actual projects going on here, um, I would move back in a second. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what's what is here. Fine Noon Productions, which does like yeah, I mean, HGTV there's a few, stuff. There's a few television production studios and um, ad firms, things like that. But as far as actual TV, you know, a consistent TV production base, no, I don't. I don't really think that there's anything. Um, a few film fledgling things, Colorado Film School, a few other things mm-hmm. like that. But but no, there's not that base, and it's and it's so um, so interesting to me because everyone that. You know, they start to get a little bit big, and then they always have to go to, like, either New York or L.A. But people, they, they hate being in L.A. Like, people hate L.A. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like they're only out there just to try to, like, schmooze and, and be in that industry because that's where it is. But it makes me wonder, like, now that we're moving into this era where, like you mentioned before, you don't have to be kind of within that system. It's not uh, like you have to know certain producers or certain people to mm-hmm. actually get to develop a following – you can do it from anywhere, but at what point will that start to really matter? Like you can sort of build up a huge following here in Colorado and you're just going to be like, fuck it, I'm going to stay here. And if they, you know, bring the money to me or something like that. Yeah, which won't really happen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's not going to be like decentralized because of digital forays. Yeah, but why not? But why not? Like why right. do you still have to be in L.A. in an era where someone making a podcast in their basement can go and... You're bringing the audience to you as opposed to them bringing the audience to you. Well, I mean, I guess it depends what it is. I mean, from a a comic and an actor's perspective, if you you build a following in Denver and they're like, hey, come do this sitcom, we're shooting it in Burbank, you're not going to be like, no, (laughs) you guys got to come to Boulder. (laughs) I like to ski in the winter. Like... You know, for a little bit, we got excited because uh, Joe Rogan moved here temporarily because his girlfriend was here, and he's saying that he was going to live in Boulder temporarily, and everyone got really excited because, I don't know, Joe Rogan. Yeah. This is the level of things we're getting excited about. <laughs> but uh, I was like, but then he excited? left. <laughs> then he left, and he's just like, fuck it. I'm going back to California. Yeah. this way. So I was looking online. You know, we, we were going to pitch some TV or web series pilots here in a round table. We're going to create our own We're going Yes, we are. And this is where it's going to start right now. But yeah. we do have a legacy to work from, which, you know, Amber and I were talking last night. It's like, what was made, like, you know, what has been done here? What's been based in Colorado? And outside of South Park, I couldn't really remember anything. But Westward last year did a rundown of the best, what they called their seven best TV shows set in Colorado. And uh, Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman, Everwood, um, which I've never heard of. Stargate SG One, Community, uh, Dynasty, more. No, no, it was ba- like Community is set in Colorado, but they film it. Right, and none of I don't think any of these were actually filmed ever. I think Doctor Quinn was some of Doctor Quinn. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I didn't watch that show, <laughs> and I, even if I did, I'm not going to admit it. <laughs> Didn't she have, like, long, nice hair? She yeah, it was, that's what's all her, um, She was a medicine woman. She was. Yeah. Yeah, everybody remember. It's That's what you remember about that woman is her hair. I don't even remember her name right now. She, and I think she had blue eyes. That It was set in Colorado Springs, which is weird. Cause, uh, anyway, um, so who wants to start? So now we're, you know, if we're going to start this new era of um, television based on or in Colorado, um, actually, Amber, why don't you start since you have done this you've pitched this right you have an idea that you pitched about that was set here yeah it was set in pueblo colorado 
um, and it's about a girl. It's basically like about my life because I'm a narcissist and it's all about me. But it's about a girl who's in her late twenties and she moves to the big. She moves to big cities and she crashes and burns and she has to come back home and lives with her mom and then she gets a job as an advice columnist at the local newspaper. And she's in really, Pueblo. Yeah. So this is going to be filmed in Pueblo. We're going to see actual yeah. Pueblo sites. Oh, yeah. This is awesome. And she lives in her – her mom's on a farm. She lives in the backyard in a Winnebago. So she doesn't actually – she can't, you know, she can't move back in with her family. So she just stays in the backyard <laughs> in a Winnebago because they drive her nuts. And so she gets a, a job at the local newspaper as an advice columnist. And she's really edgy. And the town either loves her or hates her because the, the column's really controversial. And her family owns a restaurant, so there's like it's like a family sitcom, with from her from her perspective, uh, after moving away, coming back, sort of being very humble about it, but still like feisty, wants to get out again, but she has to hang out with her family. When we talked about Pueblo being a great place to actually film something like this, because yeah. there's so many pla- like there's so many different like parts of that city that are yeah, it's really- very visual and cinematic like all the old crazy old buildings oh my god the, yeah it's amazing the big ass mural no is that in pueblo right there, well there's are you talking on the river yeah 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 it's just one long it's yeah, lots of like different painting, murals yeah. yeah but there's the county and then there's yeah. the ghetto yeah and then there's beautiful houses and I, I feel like pueblo could look like michigan or kansas even if even if you did movies there yeah. It didn't have to basically say it's Colorado, but I just feel like it would be... Well, and there's the urban setting that you could use for oh, yeah. the city. You know, yeah, yeah. you just have to bring in a lot of people, because that's the thing that's missing is people. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have one that could either be a reality show, or it could be a um, half-hour, you know, comedy. And um, my working title is Dr. J. Stoner, MD. <laughs> Um, and I imagine it as a reality show would be like Pawn Stars. So it's the day-to-day shenanigans of running a pot shop, oh. you know. So but but that would lend well to writers. So for fiction, it would work. Um, you have the growers. You have the doctor. You have the suppliers. You have the customers. These are all characters. Yeah. yeah. And it's there's an industry behind it. You'd, you'd learn the ins and outs. You would be learn like the weeds. ins and outs. It'd be like yeah. weeds in real life. It would be. It's it a fictional. Be. Wait, are we? You it said could it could go be either, either way. way. Uh, this pitch is just going off the rails. <laughs> the there's just so much opportunity. Well, you got to leave it open yeah, so you that leave the it studio open. can manipulate it the way they right. want. Right. So you actually. Get I mean, it. obviously, if it's going to be reality, you're going to have a hard time finding a Dr. J. Um, I'd watch it. And then they're competing. Uh, they're, like a lot of the competition is to try to find the new way of of ingesting pot. So, like, you would have, you know, like, what was it? Uh, Cheers had that other bar that they would sometimes compete with that was always fun, and I always mm-hmm. loved those episodes. They, you could have, like, you know, another pot shop that opens right across the street to create some tension, you know, and, and competition, and they are sabotaging each other. And, you know, the one comes out with a, a pot tootsie roll, and it's like, oh, now everybody's going over there. What do we got to do? Uh, pot Sour Patch Kids. Oh, or you can oh, make yeah. it like a Food Network competition and do a spin-off. You could. You could do the Pop Food Network. Yes. Yes. There you go. Oh, I like yeah. that. Or this, you know, fictional um, pot shop could enter into one of those. They could, yeah. Like I think there's lots of opportunity with Dr. J Pot MD. Yeah. Somebody's going to make that Stoner sometime. Stoner MD. 
Yeah. If they haven't already, there's probably a series, a YouTube series from somebody in Colorado that's like about pot. Yeah, like like a chef show. Right? Yeah, yeah. There should be. Yeah. The other idea I had was this alien moves the boulder, <laughs> and he's really funny and quirky and wears rainbow um, suspenders. But mm, then that I realized that that original. was. Very, <laughs> You know, that was another Mark and, Mindy. Mark and Mindy was another one that where it was just like this establishing shot of like them driving their truck on 36 into Boulder and then yeah. you're like, oh, Boulder. And then it was just all. Well, there's the also the house. Oh, yeah. yeah and whenever anybody comes to visit you, driving by the house and you're like, OK, that's a house. But it was never actually there. Yeah. Oh, I've never I've never been to that. house. Really? Where is it in there's Boulder? There's a Mark and Mindy house it's, and it's the John Benet house. What is it on Pine? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Another hilarious sitcom. <laughs> 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 OK. So mine also will follow along that thread of a food network type show, and this is because Colorado has two things. They have High Noon Productions, which does, um, you know, uh, along with those HGTV uh, fix and flip shows, they also do food shows, namely Cake Boss is mm-hmm. one of their shows. Right. And we, along with having that already established here and, you know, reality TV production company, we also have the country's largest concentration of federal prisons, and we also have a number of state prisons where uh, a number of people are on death row. So what I'm proposing is a Food Network show called Last Meal. Oh, my God. And there is, you know, there's really this thing. It's like you, you're up for execution, right? And you always, you always awesome. the guys always get this last meal. And it's always been this uh, kind of fixation of uh, morbid curiosity mm-hmm. for people to figure out, well, what did they get at their last meal? Like one guy gets like fried chicken and a Twinkie and you know, a granola bar. Like, yeah. why? Right? But uh, this show would kind of be based on that. It wouldn't actually be using real death row prisoners. But, That's you know, you know, sort of a fake one. It would be, it would be on a soundstage. But this guy gets this one last meal, right? And he's going to be executed within 24 hours, right? So you mm-hmm. have to get this meal to him. And you have two teams. And so the death row, the guy on death row writes out, you know, his list of what he wants for his last meal. And it's going to be kind of like a bunch of random stuff, but it's also, you know, not only just like a big hamburger, but he's going to say, I want a hamburger like the one that this diner in uh, Mississippi used to make when I ate when I was a kid because it made me feel good, right? Sure. And so the teams would have to go out and they would either have to try to like call, um, you know, it would kind of be set up by the producers, but you'd call like this diner and figure out exactly how they made that hamburger, right? Because there's a million ways to make a hamburger. And then they have to go out and get all the ingredients for all these different things like you know, the milkshake he wants or the, uh, you know, lobster tail that he wants prepared a certain way. And then they have to create it within 24 hours, these two teams, and then they serve it to the death row inmate. And then he decides which one is, tastes the best, A, right? They had to make it under pressure, but also sort of fits with what he was going for, the more abstract. uh, The most accurate. Yeah, the most accurate because it's food. You know, when you're eating your last meal, you're not only wanting to ingest a bunch of food, but you're also, it's like a remembrance of your life and getting the, you know. Experience. Getting the, the getting the thing just right that match up with his memories. And so the teams would, and I don't really know, I mean, what would happen then? The team wins? Would they get to, you know, give the guy. Flip uh, the switch? Yeah. yeah. The switch <laughs> they get yeah. to flip the switch. And, that's and how the show in. ends with it. It's almost like shorting out. Yeah. It, like you hear it. And then it kind of goes off air to, to the snow. Tell me, tell me you guys would not watch that. I would so yeah. watch that. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. The tension and drama knowing this guy is going to die. Yeah. No matter what. You know, I mean, it's going to die no matter what. Yeah. So it's not really like we have, they have any influence on that. So it's not like save the day. 
Yeah. But you're still, you know. So, uh, producers there at High Noon Productions, you can email me at info at Denver Diatribe. <laughs> my, um, and you can talk with my agent, Amber Tozen, <laughs> medicine woman. So, mine is really, um, I think maybe mine would be good for, like, uh, like Adult Swim or something. But I'm thinking, mine's like a, a Red Dawn. The inspiration is a Red Dawn meets Absurdistan meets Scott Pilgrim kind of thing. So, um Mine is the um, Chinese occupation of Colorado. The Americans are all going to be CGI animated by the people who did the porta potty, um, the porta potty video, and then the Chinese would be. And we'd all look like slightly Aging too. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and we wouldn't speak. It's actually our pieces will all be narrated because that's how the CGI is narrated by uh, uh, this you know very robotic female voice. And then if we talk, they come in pop ups like um, Scott Pilgrim. So it's weird. I know. I don't know. That's it, it, it is. We've stoned. <laughs> <laughs> I just I think, read Absurdistan, so I was like, you know, it's right, so yeah. great. It's like it's I want, like something really crazy and out there. Yeah. And China's on my mind. I think that they should have a, a, like a, a particular obsession with something uniquely Colorado and like like green chili cheeseburgers. Sure. You know, like the Chinese get obsessed with it, yeah. and that's part of their motivation is to like steal the resources of green chili sauce. So we're going to move on to love and hate now. Um, Josh, why don't you start us off with your love or hate for the week? I'm going to start with a love this week, and I'm sure it's something, it's a Denver institution that most people are familiar with, but having just moved to Capitol Hill uh, less than six months ago, I'm in love with it. Capitol Hill Books on uh, Grant and Colfax. Um, I think that it is, I mean, of course, I, I, I love the, uh, you know, tattered cover, but uh, this, this one just is so particular in personality, and, and my favorite part are their windows, and the books they have in their windows, with they put little cards ex- explaining their, their sort of summary of what the book is, and, mm. and I think they're clever, and, and I, I just love a place new and used books. They're cheap and helpful. I love the Denver comedy scene, and I just wanted to say that the, I already said, I already talked about it earlier in the show. But the narrator show on um, Paris on the Platte, it's once a month on Wednesdays, and it's Andrew Overdahl's show. So I just wanted it's a storytelling show, and I think it's really different and creative. Yeah, so you should check it out. That's a good one. So I've talked uh, before about this law in Aurora that mandates that the city increase hiring of police officers as the population increases it's called one per 1000 and uh how it's really affected the aurora city budget because even in the economic downturn they're being forced to hire on more and more police officers um even though they're cutting the budget in other places and this has forced them to like slash libraries and all kinds of other uh discretionary things and why i want to love on the fact that the aurora city council has putting a initiative on the ballot to try to uh propose that they raise taxes by a certain amount so they can actually pay for these other police officers rather than having it eat the city budget um, alive. So that'll be on the November ballot. We'll see whether or not it passes. Um, So I have some love this week for a new event that um, launched on Friday at Creative Density, which is a co-working space on 17th and Emerson. Um, It's called Single Bites, and it is... um, it was developed by a woman, Audrey Clammer, who I worked with at my co-working space, but she used to work at The Stranger and the Portland Mercury Inn and organized single events, uh, singles events for them. And this one is based around techie. It brings techies and food lovers together. Anyway, that's my love, and that's all the time we have for today. 
Thank you for joining us. You can find us at denverdiatribe.com, on Twitter, at Denver Diatribe, on Facebook. And um, thanks, Amber, for coming in and joining us in the studio today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we'll see everybody next week. That's why I'm saying, oh, we can sit it all.